This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents a Baha'i perspective on life through interviews. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. Today I'm playing an interview with Sarah Page, the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for HAP, a non-profit housing partnership organization. I started the interview by asking Sarah where she grew up and what was it like growing up there? Well, I grew up in Cambridge, Mass., and I spent my summers in Hyannis on Cape Cod. And Cambridge was a wonderful place to grow up. I was surrounded by Harvard University and grew up near the Agassiz Peabody Museum and the Divinity School and had lots of friends who were part of the Center for World Religion at the Divinity School. Oh. And I was about 10 minutes from Harvard Square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So from a from small little kid, yeah, elementary school... I was born in Cambridge okay. and went to a little neighborhood school mm-hmm. and was in a little neighborhood. It was really in transition as I was growing up. That was the hard part. A lot of my friends moved out to the suburbs as I was growing up, and I only had about eight people, eight other children in my eighth grade class. Mm-hmm. So the school was really um, in transition when I was there. Mm-hmm. Junior high and high was school was in Cambridge as well. Well, it was a. Um, there were eight grades in this little elementary school, so I didn't go to junior high, okay. and then I went straight to Cambridge High in Latin, which was a very large school, and um, was in all kinds of turmoil when I was there. Uh, I think I had a good education, but in my um, junior and senior years, we had lots of uh, days where school was very. Um, Minimal because people were out on um, strikes and uh, were doing peace demonstrations. And uh, we had a riot at my school where the riot squad was called in. So it was a pretty turbulent high school time. And what were the issues at that time that these things were going on? Well, there was a lot of racial tension. So the riot was around um, white and black kids bringing chains to school and having some kind of altercations uh, that really affected the whole school. And um, and then the Vietnam War was raging, and um, some of the people that I knew were... Um, part of big demonstrations in Harvard Square, and you know some of them were quite violent demonstrations. So it was a it was a really hard time. Yeah. Uh, I got involved in student government and um, questioning how the school was run, how the curriculum was developed, and that was a very interesting process for me to get involved in. I really got into issues of um, how should education. Um, be conducted and what are educational theories that make the most sense and so I was part of a whole group of people who were really taking out our activism around um, educational issues and ecology. I was part of an 
ecology club and mm-hmm. we um celebrated earth day and i cleaned the charles river and did all kinds of things that seemed quite positive and mm-hmm. um uh sensitive to um some of the issues of the day right after high school Hi. Uh, after high school, I went to floral design school for a summer, and um, I really didn't want to go straight to college. So I worked as a floral designer for a year on Newbury Street in Boston, which was really fun. And I met my husband um, during that year, and um, we just looked at lots of art, and it was kind of an interesting year. And then after that, I came to UMass Amherst. Were you always in, interested in floral uh, yeah, arrangements I, and stuff, even in high school? And I was. My grandmother got me really interested. She had an amazing garden on Cape Cod and uh, t- had me be part of a junior garden club. And I did flower arrangements for their yearly um, flower show. And I always went to the Boston Flower Show. And so that was a real love of mine. I remember as a little girl, I used to pick huge bouquets of flowers and make myself, you know, um, pretend wedding bouquets. So that just was a real love. Mm. So you must really enjoyed that year working with the floral design shop. Yeah, I did. Shop, you know. So at UMass, what did you decide to study at UMass? Well, I, um, based on my experience in Cambridge with... Um, seeing all different kinds of living conditions and really being affected by the housing projects. I really wanted to get into um, some kind of urban design or urban planning. And so I went to um, the School of Landscape Architecture and Regional Planning at UMass. I ended up doing an independent degree through the um, bachelor's degree in individual concentration program. So I ended up combining... um, a degree I called community planning and art. And um, it definitely had a focus around um, environmental community planning issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And UMass was a good school for that kind of thing. Is that why you had chosen UMass? Yeah. Um, I think I also chose UMass because I was the Massachusetts <laughs> resident. And, you know, I had visions of going to some other kind of alternative schools. But UMass worked out well because I took a lot of courses at Hampshire and mm-hmm. was able to use the whole five-college system, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. And But the School of Regional Planning is a really good school, and so that mm-hmm. was really useful. Now, you had mentioned in high school how there was so much social upheaval going on in, in high school. How did that affect you, do you think, being exposed to that in high school? I think it really made me want to find a better way for the world to um, function and really made me look at people's relationships and racism and uh, classism to some extent, um, sexism. I just was very concerned about how um, we could have a world that, um, would be at peace and um, how we could have better human relationships mm. and a better relationship to the earth. And so you went to UMass for four years and got your mm-hmm. bachelor's degree? Yeah, I I probably went for five years because mm. I, I every periodically would go off and do flower arranging for a <laughs> while and then I'd go back. <laughs> right, right. That's great. What about after you finished UMass? Um, after I finished UMass, um, I went and got 
uh, the only job that I could find and did that for about a year and a half, which was helpful in developing some kind of public public relations, community relations skills, which I've used ever since. And then I went... um, and ended up applying to be an executive director of a little nonprofit in Holyoke um, that really wanted someone who would focus on housing. And when I left UMass, I really wanted to get into some kind of planning in Springfield or some kind of job related to housing. And I actually apl- really wanted to work for HAP, which is where I'm working now. And what is HAP? <clears throat> HAP um, then was the Housing Allowance Project and is the organization, uh, one of um, several organizations in the country that about 35 years ago um, was the experimental program that then became the Section 8 program. It ran an experimental program that the federal government then decided to um, uh, turn into a major national program. And so back when I was getting out of... um, College, I really was looking around Springfield, looking at various um, urban revitalization initiatives, um, was really interested in HAP. And HAP now is the region's housing partnership. And while it has a major rental assistance program, um, the Housing Allowance Project is not really, that's not a relevant name any longer. So it's just HAP, Inc., the region's housing partnership. And so you started out with this job in Holyoke? I did. I ran uh, Services for Community Living, which eventually merged with the Western Mass Training Consortium. Mm-hmm. And that um, served about 12 people with significant physical disabilities and cognitive disabilities. Some had lived at Belchertown State School and some at Munson. And how long did you do that? I did that for a few years. Mm-hmm. So after that, I went um, to do two things. I got a studio in Holyoke on the Canal District and uh, decided to try my hand at painting again because that had been part of my degree, and I really wanted to see if I could um, do some larger artwork. And then I did a lot of consulting, so I worked for a lot of human service agencies doing various projects, um, some related to housing, And uh, that led me to start working with um, Bob Agolia from the um, Association for Community Living. And he and I both started looking at housing cooperatives that could include a few people with disabilities in a cooperative um, that is much larger and would include people who just needed affordable housing. And so we did a lot of applications and started working with HAP on some housing applications and um, were pursuing that. And so that was my kind of pro bono work while I was doing consulting and um, slowly decided that um, I was just was not cut out to be a serious painter. And, and why is that? Um, I didn't like going all by myself to a big art studio and, and trying to be creative day after day. I, I love to do drawings and paintings, but it's much more of a um, hobby in my own time than something that I really want to make a career around. And so it was helpful to try that and see that that really wasn't um, my calling. Mm-hmm. And I really am much more of a social person and want to be out working with people and making a, 
a real difference in the world and being able to see that things change. So, um, so we were really out there looking at this whole idea of housing co-ops that would include people with disabilities. And people in Connecticut had heard the same inspiring speaker we had who had come down from uh, Canada and talked about this really interesting model, housing co-op. And so and I... Who, who was the speaker? His uh, name was David Weatherow. Mm-hmm. And he had done the Prairie Housing Co-op in, I think, in Manitoba. And it included a few people with very significant disabilities and a lot of other people who really created a community around them. So um, I started talking with people in Connecticut, and the Developmental Disabilities Council put out a grant, and I applied and ended up um, with a lot of people with disabilities and others creating an organization that... um, really created a few housing co-ops and started a a number of other programs for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. When you say a housing co-op, can you describe that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Um, We developed one uh, 16-apartment co-op in Manchester, Connecticut, and then a 25-unit one in Glastonbury. And um, they were designed so that... um, all of the units were accessible on the first floor so people could visit each other. Uh, it's now called visitability so that um, there are no stairs in the way and everyone who uses a wheelchair can get into everyone else's units so that people are really part of a community and not isolated within their own apartment. And the co-op is co-owned by all the members and they have a um, right to their own unit. Um, They have a proprietary lease to their unit and then uh, own the common space as a corporation. And it's a way to create very affordable housing and um, people don't have to go out and get a mortgage for their um, their unit. They uh, are able to um, buy into the co-op. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly very expensive high-income co-ops in um, parts of the country like New York City. But this model was used in Massachusetts and Connecticut to create really affordable housing where people don't um, have a mortgage and don't put in a lot of equity, um, but are able to really control their housing. And some people in the co-ops that we created in Connecticut may spend their whole lives there. So it's not necessarily that they buy a, a piece of the co-op necessarily, but they own it in the sense that they are the decision makers and how the living space is used and, and controlled. Right. Again, what association was this that you were working with to create this affordable housing co-op? Um, we created an organization that was called Co-op Initiatives. And it did a number of co-ops in Hartford suburbs. And the other thing that was important about that was it was very hard to get affordable housing into suburban communities. And the idea of a co-op owned by its residents instead of an apartment building that would not be owned and controlled by its residents was really attractive to suburbs that were primarily homeownership. And um, the idea of including people with disabilities and just having a mix of people owning a a complex um, really took off and was very successful. Mm -hmm. And suburban communities ended up embracing the idea. And how long did you work with Cooperative? I was there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then I passed it on to someone else who took it over. And, and how many folks made up cooperative initiatives? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, we had a board of about 12 people and a staff mm-hmm. of about eight, and um, it grew over time. Mm-hmm. You know, at first I was the only one, and then mm-hmm. I kept adding people. So you started it, and then it grew from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what was your position when you left? Oh, I was the executive director the, okay. the the whole time that I was there. I see. And then it was time for you to move on? or Yeah, it was. Um, I had been commuting from Belchertown to Hartford, and uh, the organization really um, had become more and more demanding. And um, so I decided it was time to move on, and I was contacted by the Institute for Community Economics that was looking for an executive director. And I applied there and um, was offered the position. And that was really hard because they wanted someone right away. And I was running an organization mm-hmm. that I had been my baby. And so I was really attached to it. And it was really hard to kind of make that change. But I did. Mm-hmm. And I worked at ICE for five years uh, before I went to HAP a couple of, two and a half years ago. Uh, what was the work at Institute for Community Economics? Well, I was the executive director there, and the organization uh, was about 25 years old and had um, founded the, well, had carried on the community land trust movement that was founded by Bob Swan and really taken forward around the country by Chuck Mathai. And so I was helping to build the community land trust movement. The organization also had a community development loan fund and had a whole loan fund staff, but um, we were working hard to expand the reach of the loan fund and make sure that um, people knew it existed and um, kind of expand the use of the loan fund by the community land trust. So it was trying to conserve land and protect it from development? No, um, community land trusts are uh, an affordable housing use of the land trust concept. So the land is owned by the nonprofit organization and affordable housing is built on the land. And a resale formula is embedded in that concept to make sure that the housing remains affordable over the very long term. So people on land trust, in land trust homes, have 100 year leases that are renewable. And um, so they own their house, and they can um, receive some equity appreciation on their house, but um, not full market appreciation, so the house remains affordable for future generations. Mm -hmm. So it's like owning a house without the land? Right. So are there such houses around here? And um, there are. There's, um, there's been a Holyoke Community Land Trust. There's one in Worcester. A very successful model that people are often familiar with is the Dudley Street Initiative in Roxbury. And that, um, that community land trust has community gardens and has really helped um, that area of Roxbury flourish and mm. brought a lot of... Um, community back to an area that was just um, really desolate and burned out and um, really struggling with lots of abandoned properties. So 
There are also land trusts in Brattleboro, Vermont. There's a very successful one that's done lots of wonderful home ownership. And um, Burlington, Vermont, has one of the largest land trusts in the country for in terms of community land trusts. And you were at ICE, you said, for About fi- five years. Five years. What made you... Yeah, I decided it was time to move on (laughs) from there as well. Um, uh, So I left and uh, took a little bit of time off and did. So what was what were the uh, what were the um, what what were the motivations for feeling that you had to leave or that your time there was enough? Hmm. I left when the organization was really making some very hard decisions about um, having offices in other parts of the country. We were considering having a Washington, D.C. office and opening an office on the West Coast. And it was a very challenging time, and I felt that it might be better for another leader to work with the board on making these really hard decisions. And um, the organization is now merging with an organization in Washington, D.C., so that sense that it needed to find a different geographic um, location and to really make some major changes, I think, was borne out to be true. Mm. And it was a really good time for me to leave. The organization brought in another director who um, brought some new energy and um, a new perspective. And so that um, that worked out, and mm. I was really happy to be able to move on and go to HAP. Is that where you are today? Is, is yes. I, I took a little time off, and then I went to become uh, a special projects director at HAP, which was an interesting role. Um, HAP really wanted to look at the possibility of creating a regional community land trust in the Pioneer Valley. We really studied that for a year and decided that that wasn't a direction we wanted to go in right away, although it's certainly something HAP may do down the road. Um, but what I ended up really getting involved in at HAP is um, neighborhood revitalization in Springfield. And so <clears throat> we started in one neighborhood and then quickly uh, moved into another neighborhood. So we're um, helping to bring back over a 100 houses that have been abandoned or um, lots that are vacant and creating a 100 new home ownership opportunities for, uh, for families. So what's the process that you go through when you target an area for this kind of revitalization? Well, that's what's been really exciting about the neighborhood that we started working in, the Old Hill neighborhood in Springfield. Um, The city and Springfield College started by doing a master plan with the planning group, the Cecil group out of Boston. And they did a whole plan looking at what, needed to happen in the neighborhood with the Old Hill Neighborhood Council completely involved and lots of neighbors were involved in the process and then HAP, Springfield Neighborhood Housing Services and Greater Springfield Habitat for Humanity joined together to create a collaborative with the Old Hill Council Uh, so the four organizations are looking at um, the vacant properties and where new homes should be built and so working together we've been acquiring properties and 
raising the funds needed to um, develop new houses. And we have six that are done and just in the process of being sold. And Neighborhood Housing Services is starting another six or so this spring. And we're out there buying um, vacant properties and getting ready to, to work on probably another 15 now, how are you capitalized to buy vacant properties? Well, we've done a few things. We um, have a limited liability corporation that, or limited liability company that the three nonprofits um, created with the help of Springfield College, and they guaranteed um, this $1.5 million fund and put a large investment at Bank North, and then Bank North... Uh, uh, gave us a line of credit that um, is at a really good low interest rate because of the guarantee of Springfield College and because we put some foundation funds into an account at Bank North that create an equity pool as well. So um, so with this fund, we've been able to very aggressively acquire properties that um, that are at the right price and look as though they'll really make a difference in um, bringing back parts of the neighborhood that really have been distressed. Mm. And the city has also put properties out for request for proposal. And so we've gone in and proposed um, to develop certain properties. And we expect the city to put many more out um, in request for proposals over the next six months or so and um, hope that we'll be successful in, in getting some more properties to bring back. Mm. We're taking down these huge um incredibly uh, decrepit properties that be, have been allowed to be vacant for 20 years sometimes. And so they've um, had illegal activity going on in them or roofs are falling in. Some have been burned. And they just create such a blight on the neighborhood. Some of them are right across from an elementary school. And um, they're just in really key parts of the neighborhood. So by having by demolishing them and then building new houses, it just brings such life to the neighborhood so quickly and is really making a difference. Excellent. We'll return to Sarah Page, the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for the Nonprofit Housing Partnership Organization known as HAP, in a moment. Service to me is any activity that is performed in the spirit of benefiting others uh, for their common good. And this is to me like worshiping God, which is our purpose. Forgiveness is about opening your heart and acknowledging that we are all human and sometimes make mistakes. Forgiving gives us an opportunity to cleanse our spirits because in the process, we let go of resentment, anger, and hostility, all ungodly sentiments. By forgiving, we replace these emotions with love, tolerance, and acceptance. Sometimes we forget that while it is important to forgive others, forgiving ourselves for our errors and shortcomings is just as important. I know that's where I have trouble. When I truly forgive myself for a mistake I made, it allows me to heal, to grow, and become my true spiritual self. Humility is like the opposite of conceit. Humility to me is a virtue not easily practiced by many because it involves putting others ahead of you. You know, not always thinking about what makes you stand out in front of others but that you are just a part of a larger plan. You are playing a role in this age of mankind. 
Everyone knows what it's like to be a teenager. It's a time when anything that anybody says to you or about you will stay in your brain forever and make you overanalyze yourself for hours on end, especially if it's something the least bit critical, which is why tactfulness is so important. It's okay if you don't like something, and it's okay if you want to voice that, but do so with tact and save us a couple hours of overanalyzation. We'll now return to our interview with Sarah Page, the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for the nonprofit housing partnership organization known as HAP. I asked Sarah, how is it that she became a Baha'i? Um, I ran into it when I was in high school, and um, I was actually being a chambermaid at a hospital um, during my probably junior year of high school during the summer on the Cape. And um, I was talking about religion with somebody while I was changing a bed. And a nurse came in who was a Baha'i and started telling me about the Baha'i faith and um, said that she could take me to a fireside. So I went to a fireside at Roma Freeman's house with her. And Roma was just a wonderful Baha'i on Cape Cod uh, who had been really good friends with Dizzy Gillespie and had been really involved in... um, many national activities of the Baha'i faith. And so she was a wonderful person to um, uh, learn about the faith from. And so I kind of put it aside for a year. And then um, during my senior year of high school in the spring, I just kept bumping into Baha'is. And I was following Seals and Croft, and they were um, Baha'is and was kind of listening to their music. And so I just started going to Baha'i meetings and really learning about it at that point. Mm-hmm. And what was your religious inclination before when you had this discussion mm-hmm. in this hospital room? Well, I had, been, I had grown up a Unitarian and a Christian scientist, and my family, my mother and father, um, each had one of those religions. And so <clears throat> I'd been brought up in this kind of New England uh, Christian faith, but as I said before, I grew up next to the Harvard Divinity School and the Center for World Religion, and my dad had been in India during World War II. So I had just this whole sense of Buddhism and Hinduism and um, a sense that there were all these different religions and really questioned why I would choose to be one versus another. And I was listening to many gurus that were coming to Harvard Square and um, just really exploring what the nature of religion was and why one would choose one religion over another. And um, I also had this real um, social justice motivation and uh, really wanted to have a religion answer some of those questions about um, economic justice and poverty and racism and um, the Baha'i faith just addressed all of those questions um, and can you explain just real briefly let's take economic justice for one how the Baha'i faith addressed in your mind economic justice well the faith talks about the importance of um, 
eliminating the extremes of poverty and wealth and talks a lot about the importance of people who have wealth sharing that wealth and um, also talks about the importance of education and um, making education available to everyone and so the vision of um, a society, a world society where everyone would have access to education and the ability to uh, make a decent living was um, very um, inspiring and, and answered some of the questions that I was asking. Mm-hmm. So you said you'd put it aside for a while uh, and then you kept running into Baha'is. Right. In, uh, in, <laughs> was it in high school you said? Mm-hmm. After high school. When I was just at the end of my senior year of high school, I, I started see. reconnecting, and then mm-hmm. during that summer after high school, and during my year off while I was being a florist, I was going to all kinds of Baha'i things all over mm-hmm. Boston, which mm-hmm. was really great. Mm-hmm. What was it that motivated you to commit to being a Baha'i once you had learned about the Baha'i faith? I felt really embraced by the Baha'i community and felt that um, this really, um, Baha'u'llah's teachings really made complete sense to me, and I started saying Baha'i prayers and felt that I was really practicing the Baha'i faith, so it didn't make sense not to become a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt very invited to join the community, and so I did. And when was that? Well, I was 18 when I joined. And now, when you had gotten married... Yeah, I got married when I was 19. You had met your husband through the Baha'i faith? Yeah, well, I had met him. He was one of the people I bumped into who was a Baha'i, and I got to know him um, during my senior year of high school. And he had just really learned about the Baha'i faith himself, and so he was learning about it as I was learning about it. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll return to the conclusion of my interview with Sarah Page, the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for the nonprofit housing partnership organization known as HAP, in a moment. Responsibility. This is something I have forever struggled with. Whether it be doing my chores as a child, following through with my commitments, paying bills on time, or even just making simple choices. But the more I have strived and learned to act responsibly, The more trustworthy I've become, the more dependable I've become, and most importantly, the more aligned with God I feel. Tolerance is a good place for me to start. If I can be tolerant of a situation first, then I get to follow it through with other virtues like love and patience and kindness um, that support my act of being tolerant. Well, courage to me is a way to get through fears and troubles. When I'm scared, I always tell my parents how I feel with confidence and bravery. They help me work out my problems. After that, I feel more courageous.
We'll now return to the conclusion of our interview with Sarah Page, the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for the nonprofit housing partnership organization known as HAP. You're, you're, you're at HAP, and mm-hmm. you, how long have you been at HAP now? About two and a half years. Two years. So you feel like you're just sort of starting this new effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see yourself doing, either with HAP or anything in the future? Well, at HAP, I'm now the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development, and so I'm really helping HAP build its fundraising capacity and helping raise um, funds for all different kinds of projects, which is really exciting. But my um, particular passion and focus has been the neighborhood revitalization work, and we... it. It's very difficult to do this work, so it's really important to raise foundation grant funds and individual gifts, and we're about to raise a working capital fund so that we'll have more funds available to go out and purchase property when um, the need arises and when the opportunity arises. So um, we're starting to work in Holyoke, in the South Holyoke area, and starting a master plan in that neighborhood. Um, so I just see many more opportunities to make a difference in neighborhoods in the region and to do some really good affordable housing in communities where there's so little affordable housing. We just completed a development um, in December in Northampton for 12 very low-income families. And getting that kind of housing into towns like Northampton is is really challenging mm-hmm. and very exciting. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I see my role as um, helping to find the funds necessary to do this work mm-hmm. all over the region. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, thank you very much. I really oh, appreciate you taking thank the you. time. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah Page. A Baha'i and the Assistant Executive Director of Fund Development for the nonprofit housing partnership organization known as HAP. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
Grass is everywhere. It's a bloody scene. Killing plagues the citizens. Yes, they own police. Children play with rusted cars. Swords cover their hands. Politicians laugh and drink. Drunk to all demands. Families buying dog food now. Starvation roams the street. Babies die before they're born. Infected by the greed. Now some folks say that we should be glad for what we have. Tell me, would you be happy? Will it get to Doing the work of the angels 
Time flies like fine grains of sand My life is a turn of the pages And I'll give it to you Cause I can't give away what isn't mine And all that I have is my life and my time And the feel of a hometown where I landed The slipping away I'll be empty-handed so all I can call these things my own Gonna give them to you Just in my words, 
It's what I do I can feel it in the way my spirit soars When I'm reaching out to yours Being there, no matter when or where Is how I show
on the bright side When there's so much going down on the other side It's like a living a bubble with no trouble And problems don't exist I chuckle and tell them that ain't the case at all It goes back to the time when I was very small I didn't mind what size and age my papa used to say You can always look at the negative But you should always live in the positive So I try every day to live in that way What is and how much they can And be the first to complain about nothing And life going their way The attitude's there that I can't do nothing about And very happy with just breathing in and out The ones that when you say let's go make a difference They'll say nah that's okay So I don't waste time on the trip side Cause I do know the real on the flip side And I'm crystal clear every day That's why I
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.